few weeks ago, I had some friends come and visit from out of town, and that's one of the wonderful things about living in this place is there are so many riches to enjoy and experience, but when you live here, you sometimes can forget about it, and it's great to have people come from away and be tourists to give you permission to be a tourist a little bit yourself. And uh, the museum that they most wanted to see, which was a museum I haven't seen myself since I was a kid, was the Museum of Natural History. And so it was kind of fun to be a tourist for a moment and to go with them. And the part of the museum that our friends wanted to see the most because they had some kids uh, was actually the section with minerals and gems, which would not actually have been my choice. But I'll tell you, it was astounding. I don't know if any of you have been there or been there recently, but the collection that the Smithsonian has is just remarkable. And it makes you uh, have a sense of awe in a few ways. One, in that way when you're looking and realize how little you know about the planet. And you're soaking it in and you see the beauty, inherently beautiful, precious objects. And then you also are trying to take in the reality that these things you're looking on were formed over literally millions of years. And here they are, right before you, with their beautiful colors and the way that the light reflects and off, refracts off of them. Um, there's even a piece of the planet Mars that you are allowed to touch. You can't steal it, it's impossible to steal, but you can put your finger in and you can touch Mars right there. And who knows how valuable that little tiny piece of Mars might be. It's, it's beyond value. But there's a, a section, if, if you go to the minerals and gems section of that museum, you continue on and there is a, a part that actually can be valued, can be appraised because it's actually jewelry. They have precious stones, many of them diamonds, some famous and storied diamonds and you look through and read the stories of where they've been and, and what happened and then of course, the most famous uh, gem that they have is the Hope Diamond. So you finally get to the Hope Diamond and I will say to me, it was anticlimactic. <laughs> After all else that you've seen and then you're looking at this, um, I actually looked it up, it's the third most valuable diamond in the world. 45 carats, which is unheard of practically. Um, and it is very beautiful, but all else was also so beautiful that you see in that museum. I also looked up the value because I'm a curious person, and it is valued at between 200 and 350 million dollars. That one item, which is housed in the middle of that museum, inside a glass container, and just imagine that value may be as much as the whole building itself and the land that it is on. Just one little stone. And I highlight all of this just as an extreme of example of something that actually is around us every day if we have eyes to see, which is how arbitrary it is the way that we place value. Everything around us has a value on it. We don't always know what the price tag would be if there were one, but there's a value set. Uh, things have been assessed. And you would think that it is fair and that it is logical and makes sense, but really often, it is very arbitrary. And as bad as it is, the way that we arbitrarily value things, it is also the case that we struggle to properly value human life, human beings. Now this 
Um, passage that we just heard from the gospel is a difficult passage. There are many different things that Jesus says in there, and in all likelihood, he said these different teachings at different times, and then the author of the Gospel of Matthew took them and brought them all together into one moment of teaching, and strangely, the writers of the Episcopal lectionary put these really hard readings in the summertime for some reason. Um, and I'd love to unpack the entire teaching but I just wanna give you one lens through which to see what we just heard, to see this teaching. And that is the lens of valuing properly, valuing in a holy way, valuing rightly. Jesus talks to the people about sparrows and he says, think of sparrows and how are not two sparrows sold for one penny? And yet, not one sparrow falls to the earth without the Lord knowing it. As the hymn goes, the song, his eye is on the sparrow. And then he, he points to them and says, think of the hairs on your head. Every hair is numbered and known as you are. And then he is actually ribbing them a little bit when he says, and are not you worth actually more than several sparrows? <laughs> and that's the truth. We are worth more than several sparrows and in fact, we, each of us, are worth more than several hope diamonds. And try to take that in. Try to accept that, because that's the starting point. As William Sloan Coffin put it, and he was great for a quote, he said, it is not because we have value that we are loved, but because we are loved that we have value. I'll say it again. It is not because we have value that we are loved, but because we are loved, that we have value. God's love is the starting point, and we each are worth more than several sparrows, several hope diamonds. And the challenge is, if we can take that first step and take that to heart, then we need to take the second step and realize that every neighbor to you and to me is worth the same, and to live accordingly. It's actually practical and helpful to think in those moments which come to us when it's hard to love our neighbors, to remember that God has loved those people first. And if God can, we can. And when you think about value all around and you think about museums, and I know that there are some museum professionals out here in this room that I'm actually looking at, um, there is a uh, profession which is being a curator. Curators are important people. They know value, and a good curator knows value well. We are meant to be curators, and to be good curators of holy value. Jesus goes on to say, um, I almost skipped this part, but I don't want to skip this part. This is the challenging part. He says, he did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And how can he say that? Isn't he the prince of peace? He is trying to shock people into a new awareness. And he points to the family system. And in his day, even more than what we feel today, the family system was so revered. And he said, his sword will separate person to person. Family members will become foes of each other, mothers and daughters, mothers-in-law and fathers-in-law. And actually, I am in a household that has a mother and a daughter, and maybe there's something to that. <laughs> The point, of course, is not to say that we should be against each other, but rather that we should value properly 
meaning not to make an idol of anything, even these precious human relationships. And the challenge is for us to see that the ultimate value and the ultimate source of all relationship and of all love is above. And when we can order our love rightly, actually then we will order our family love rightly as well. But the starting point has to be the starting point. And ultimately, the final line that he says in this teaching that stops us in our tracks is that when we order our valuing correctly, we may even learn that to lose your life may be to gain it. It is June right now, and I, at this time of year, think about where we all were three years ago, right here at this place, this sacred ground where St. John's stands. Uh, we, as a church, found ourselves in the middle of a racial reckoning. And I remember that time, and St. John's has not had a tradition of being a place where we put banners and signs out in front, but there was a lot of consideration, and we decided to put intentionally a banner out front that said, Black Lives Matter. Now, it wasn't an affirmation of the organization with that name, but of the principle that the lives of black people matter. And as Christians, we have to affirm that. And whenever people are given reason to believe that their lives don't matter, it is our job to value those lives and to let people know that their lives are valued by the one whose eye is on the sparrow. A parishioner and I were reflecting on this a few days ago, and this is somebody who's a member of this church who's black, and he was chatting with a friend of his who happened to be white back at that time three years ago when the banner first went up, and he said, or she said to him, well, don't you think it's awfully political? And he said, to you it may be political, but to me it is existential. How we value matters. And this has been played out again in a really profound way, noticeable way this week. As you may have noticed that the news was completely taken over by one particular story, a story that I uh, read the headline and I kind of got where it was going and I decided I wasn't going to be reading a lot of stories about it. It was impossible to avoid. And I think you all know it's the story of the Titan submersible. Um, you, it's interesting how certain stories become wall-to-wall -wall coverage. I actually went to the gym a couple days ago, and every screen <laughs> up above was showing all the footage and telling that story. And I have to say, I understand. I understand why it was so compelling. Um, it, it was a mystery. We didn't know what had happened. Where were those people? What would the end of the story be? And of course, anything to do with the Titanic is so alluring. We think about that, it was 111 years ago, I think we'll still be talking about the Titanic another century from now. The opulence, the hubris, the heroic acts of some, and the loss that didn't need to happen. You know that they had about 2,200 people on the boat, on that boat, and they had, you know, space in the lifeboats for 1,100 or, 1, or so people but only about 700 were able to be saved. And to think of all the humanity. Well, there was another story that also happened this week. Another boat. It was a fishing vessel. It was being used to carry refugees. People fleeing dire situations in Egypt, Palestine, 
Pakistan, Syria. And there's a lot to that story. There was cruelty. Um, there were terrible things that happened, and that ship was not worthy of carrying so many people, perhaps 750. And tragically, the boat went down, um, and most of the lives were lost. If you think it, when the Titanic went down, 1,500 people died. When this boat went down, perhaps 650 people died. And remember the preciousness of each one of those lives. An incredible juxtaposition then happened, though. There was another boat that was out at sea, and it got the distress signal at 3 in the morning in the dark of night. And this was a luxury yacht, 305-foot-long yacht built for the super-rich with the name Mayan Queen. That boat, by the way, it cost $175 million to build that single boat. Almost a Hope Diamond worth of a boat. And when they got the call, they went and they found the people who were swimming in the water and they shined their light onto the survivors and they started bringing people into the boat. There wasn't, allegedly, there wasn't a single person with a life vest at that point. And 104 souls were saved by that luxury yacht. People from the lowest rung of all society were brought onto a boat built for the richest billionaires of the world. But it was a human saving a human. It was a life being valued. And the captain of that vessel was asked afterwards, uh, I think being approached as if he did something heroic, and what he said was, I only did what anyone would have done. That story, 111 years ago when the Titanic went down, um, the stories, like I said, are still being told and will still be told for years and years to come. And in the, mid, in the midst of the tragedy, there were beautiful acts. There was the man who kept at his post typing SOS into the transmitter without ceasing until the very last moments. And there was the band that played with the eight musicians who stayed at their post playing music for the sake of everyone, and I'm sure for the sake of themselves, as the boat continued to go lower and lower into the water. And then there was the famous couple Isidore and Ida Strauss, where Isidore was an older man and was given a place in one of the lifeboats, and he refused, saying, there are much younger people here, they should have my place. And then Ida said, I'm not going. Where you go, I will go. And they stayed with the ship and died together. There may be nothing more important than having a proper sense of value. And there may be nothing harder. But if we would take Jesus' teaching to heart this day, it would change our lives. And it would liberate us. And it would even save the world. Amen. Amen.